Welcome to the Winner Circle with Derek Pang. On this podcast, I'll be introducing you to real-world heroes who have stepped outside their safe, known worlds to pursue and live their win, their best lives. This is a choice we all get to make. The intention behind these conversations is to inspire you to move forward with greater faith, trust, and belief in yourself on your hero's journey ahead. Let's go, hero. All right, we are live. And on today's episode, I interview Horian Gracie's first student in the USA, now a sixth degree Gracie Jiu-Jitsu black belt and the man widely considered to be the first American student of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. He's been training and teaching Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for 40 years and has been part of the Krav Maga worldwide team for over 20 years. His memoir book, Worth Defending, How Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Saved My Life, co-written with Scott Burr, is available now on both Amazon and Audible. Welcome to the Winner Circle, Richard Bressler. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. It's, an, it's a real honor. Um, as a jiu-jitsu practitioner myself, um, 15 years now, a black belt, and also a Muay Thai specialist and MMA fighter, um, it's, it's great to talk to someone with such a deep lineage in this sport. In this art. In this art, it's true. I, that's even, that's touche. That's why, that's why you are the six, six striped and me the one. Um, <laughs> so as I was talking to you at the beginning of this podcast, uh, before we hit record, the goal of these conversations is really to uplift, inspire, and empower everyone listening along to move forward with greater faith, belief, and trust in themselves on their hero's journey ahead. And this first question sets up us on a positive note, and that is this. What do you love about your world right now, Richard? Not what you love about the outside world, what's happening in the external chatter, but what do you love most about your world right now? Uh, That I'm getting a chance in life to do what I love to do. Mm Mm-hmm. And what is what it I that started, you love? I, I love teaching. Mm-hmm. I love spreading jujitsu. I, I feel that the instruction that I first received was, was I was extremely blessed to have the kind of instruction that I did. And, and at the time when I needed it the most, when I, when I thought, like, I mean, I really was, I don't want to say, I felt hopeless at times. Just because I didn't have a direction, I didn't think that I would ever be able to do what I love to do. I mean, here I was into my, um, well into my 20s with real, like I said, no direction in the fast food business with my family, hating what I was doing and doing drugs. So now I, I love doing what I'm doing. I look forward to teaching and sharing and and now with this book written, just helping people to know where this art in the USA started and how much it's changed. And and my mission is kind of to kind of keep it as as it was given to me instead of what it's becoming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So let's differentiate the difference. So what was given to you and what is jujitsu becoming that you're trying to steer it away from? Well, jujitsu, when I first learned it, it was, Horian told me, he said, you know, th this is a martial art. It's a self-defense. It's the most effective self-defense that there is. That's mm -hmm. the way it was, you know, so that's basically what I, even though I don't do as probably as much stand-up self-defense in my classes, I still teach it with an awareness that certain positions you can be punched. And if and and also to get out of the mindset that there are points and in different positions that you're vulnerable in. And one of those positions is, you know, for those people who don't know, and the guard. If someone's in my guard and they lift me up and I keep my legs crossed, I can be slammed. Yep. Where in modern sport today, there's no slamming. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. that's, that's the, the differentiation between that and like Horian told me, he says, guys don't walk into the school and they go like, you know, I want to be a world champion or, you know, when they walk into the school, at least back then it was, I want to learn how to defend myself. Now, I don't know. I think it's becoming, it's like a thing, jujitsu, it's fun, it's a sport. Mm -hmm. And so, and it's kind of, it's a little geared off that. And, and I don't think there's any stopping what's happened because of the popularity, even though it got popular based on the effectiveness in the UFC. Yeah. But mm -hmm. so what are the principles on staying safe, like not taking guard? Like I, I teach kids and what I try to teach them is to be able to stand up and escape the situation wherever they are. And guard, like you said, is not the place. If you're in guard on the street, you get kicked in the head. People come up behind you. Um, I've, I've spent a lot of time on sweeps and taking back takes um, and getting out of danger on the ground and on the feet, um, learning how to wrestle and disengage what is it most important for you in terms of self-defense jujitsu? Well, you know, you, you said something interesting is that, you know, if you have your back on the ground and let's say you're dealing with one person, someone can kick you in the head. You're yeah. talking about multiple attackers. I mean, you can be standing, fighting somebody, stand up, and someone can come over here and hit you in the head also. Yeah. So let's just keep it one-on-one -on -one for now. One-on-one, -on -one. okay. Before we, you know, so, and the thing is, it's not so much if you find yourself, it's there. If you do find yourself there, you can defend yourself from the onslaught of punches. And yeah. when you're not trained like that, and if someone's in your guard and they're throwing punches, you know, you have to deal, get out of the mentality, oh, I'm going to attack him. I'm going to go for something while they're punching me. It's not mm -hmm. realistic. You have to defend. I was just at the um, Gracie University. Actually, 
But even after that, I, I was talking to Hiran Gracie a couple days ago. Yeah. We were talking about he, he was sparring with a couple guys. And he was, and I'm not going to mention names, but but one of the guy is an ex-UFC fighter, and he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. And he was saying that that these guys, when they first come in to train, when they're rolling, they're a lot of them are very aggressive. Yeah. And you know, they can get done what they need to get done in five minutes if they're if that was their mindset. But Hidden was saying that their defense isn't that good. And mm-hmm. their that's their mindset. So he said, if if the fight goes longer than five minutes, if you can defend yourself, they wear their self out. And then that's where you that's where you attack. Yeah. So that's right. So so. And when I and one of the things that Henner has said and, and that I've repeated in class, if you're dealing with somebody in a street situation, he calls it, I think it's kind of like the 90 second rule. Mm. You have to hang on and defend yourself for 90 seconds till that person finally calms down. So if you can relax and defend yourself, there's a good chance, one, you won't get hurt. And two, you'll come away unscathed and possibly even catch the guy, too. So it's survival mentality instead of attack mentality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because, I like that. Let's face it. I'm in my 70s. Mm-hmm. So what are the chances that I'm going to, you know, go with somebody younger and, you know, and be fast enough? And I'm 140 pounds. I'm 5'10". I'm a thin guy. But the only, so the only real chance that I have is to really defend. Whether that, that is, as long as I know how to deal with that, it raises my odds of being able to walk away. Mm-hmm. And so it's survival and defense, mm-hmm. which jujitsu now, I mean, look, in competition, you, you got to get it done, man. You got five minutes, six minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very so it, it changes as you get older definitely definitely so let's trace it back to your roots um you're Hori and gracie's first student you're working your family business hating it and you've discovered jujitsu let's enlighten um our listeners on how that came to be let's kind of get to your origin story and when you're in your 20s on how you found jujitsu um i was going through my miserable life (laughs) flipping hamburgers managing a store being you know i started working for my dad and then i thought the problem was my dad so with me and a partner we went into business with my dad but it wasn't at the same store so i thought if i'm away from my dad we're making money doing the same thing i'll be happy well Mm -hmm. the problem wasn't my dad the problem was the way that I looked at my dad mm-hmm. and what I had, what I did with what he said. In other words, the easiest thing would be to two people go up to a roller coaster. One, they, they get on the roller coaster, they get off the roller coaster. One's scared out of their mind. The other one's excited. So it's what you do, how you internalize that roller coaster, how I internalized 
what my father was saying to me. Mm-hmm. So, so I wasn't happy. And I thought that was the problem. So I went over and did my own thing and realized, you know, here I am. So going to work, getting high, I happened to have, I bought a waterbed. And then I ended up a couple weeks later buying a set that came with the mattress. So I had two waterbed mattresses. I wanted to get credit on one of them. And the guy said, no, we can't do that. You're just going to have to, you'll have a second mattress, sell it. Yep. So I, what I did, I put it in the recycler back then and sold it. And I put an ad and Horian's roommate left a message on my phone. I called him back. Horian answered the phone. And he told me his roommate already bought a mattress. And I was about to hang up and Horian said, but I'm looking for one. So I told him where I lived. I lived, you know, 20 minutes away. I lived in the marina. He lived in Redondo Beach. He came over. We met. I gave him a kick-ass deal on some on the mattress and three sets of sheets. And uh, and then as he's leaving the house, he asked me if I've done martial arts. And that's when I told him I boxed a little bit. And you know, I asked him why, and he told me about his family. They were a family of champions in Brazil. They were very well known. And uh, I thought, yeah, sure. But he he asked me for a free class, and I said. You know, if I was interested and I went, heck yeah, I'll come down and take a free private class. I mean, what am I going to do? I'm just going to sit there and, you know, and punch around, you know. But so anyways, I went over there and. And here we are 42 years later, you know, and I'm still and I'm still excited about jujitsu the same way I was when after the first class there. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's beautiful. Um, so what did he teach you in that first class that hooked you? Well, how did you get hooked from day one? It wasn't so much what he taught me, although, you know, a couple stand-up techniques, you know, like where they grab your neck, um, uh, like where they grab your jacket and, you know, you come underneath, you do a little arm lock. But it was mostly when we went to the ground, he said, lay down, and then he mounted on top of me and said, okay, escape. He said, well, you really try. Get out of here, Richard. And then when I couldn't escape and he stayed mounted so easily, I went, I'm in trouble. I mean, I could be in trouble, man. If this, you know, I mean, I was paranoid. I was doing drugs. I wasn't in a good place. But, you know, I just realized that I was easy prey if he didn't have good intentions. And then... I mounted on top and he told me to hold him down and he escaped like that. I went like, okay, this was too easy and I got to learn this stuff. I mean, I just, this could really be helpful. And I, you know, was, I realized I was very aware that I had fears. And I think that's part of the problem. I just listened to something and so many people aren't aware that they do have fear. Different kinds of fear. So I was aware of mine, and I went like, "Okay, this this could help." And uh, I just went. I came back. I want another lesson. So I was hooked. You're hooked. Let's talk about fear. That's something I like to talk about with every guest. Um, fear in many aspects. Let's talk about the the if there was fear. 
um, when you decided to start your own restaurant um, away from your dad, like, was that easy to do? Like, it's not easy to start your own business. Did you feel any resistance on starting your own business with your, your friend, your partner there, your friend? Um, how was that? How did fear? Well, that, that wasn't so much afraid of, of doing that because, you know, my dad, there, there was four of us. We, there was four partners. My dad, a bit, my dad had another business partner who was in another location. So, and then it was me and then another friend of mine. So my dad, me, his business partner, and this other friend of mine that, that worked in my dad's business. Yeah. So we started that. So that really wasn't a something that I really ever thought about being afraid of. Mm-hmm. And it didn't so, sound like you, so not fear wasn't really an issue there. And it didn't seem like fear was an issue either when Horian invited you for that first private either. You said that was a very easy decision. Yeah, why not take a free class? Well, we didn't, so, no, 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 wait a second. I said, okay, but when I walked into the garage and I saw a fake gun, a real knife and a club on the wall, I went, I mean, my radar went up going, man, this guy, you know, because he had it draped off. You know, in other words, if you have a two car garage and you have a 10 by 10 mat and you have tools or anything hanging up on the garage, you want to you want to cover up the background. You don't want to make it a mess. You want to make it presentable. But I saw behind the drape of what he had, you know, and I'm going like, God, who knows? Maybe he would kill me and stomp me back there. I mean, I was afraid, but there was also, that was just the paranoia, but he had such a way to disarm you. He was very charming, still is. And and very confident and very relaxed. When I met him, when he shook my hand in the house, I mean, it was just, you know, it's very, very calm. So, you know, I just had, I just, I went through it. Obviously it wasn't up, but the, the paranoia was there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how, how, what have you learned about facing your fear from that experience? Well, I didn't so much learn it there. Yeah. But, but, you know, if you love doing something, Mm -hmm. you know, you just have to find a way to to do it. I mean, you just got to, whatever it is that you do, you just have to, to, deal with things that come up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and which yeah. is not always easy. What was the lot, the latest, the latest fear that you faced and overcome? Um, I don't, I don't, I can't really, I can't, I don't really know. You've so inoculated. I'm not afraid of anything. No. Yeah, you're you're not you stepped into fear so many times. It's it's and I think that no, is the more everybody's dealing with with fear of some kind. Everybody, I mean, just you know, of 
saying something to somebody, well, I don't want to say that because I'm afraid I might hurt their feelings. I mean, it's, it, it happens at so many different levels. And the one guy that I heard, I forgot the name of the, the he wrote a book and I forgot his name, but um, he said, you know, we're all, whether we drive someplace and we're afraid of being late or, or going on a, on a walk. I mean, here I live in Santa Monica and things got crazy for a while. Sometimes, I mean, I was afraid to go out for a walk, but I wasn't going to stop. I prepared myself, though, because I did get accosted. So just going on a walk. So now when I go on a walk, I carry a little pepper spray in my pocket because I don't want to have to deal with somebody in the street. I don't want to have to take somebody down or I don't know if they're going to have a weapon. Yeah. So I'll keep my distance. But I mean, we're talking about either big fears or just a little everyday things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, fear is a, it's how we interpret our world. Like I said about the roller coaster, you know, what's the meaning of the roller coaster? Is it scary or is it exciting? It depends who you talk to about it and their interpretation. Can be both. Yeah, it, it, it can be both. You know, one of the things that Horian told me, because I remember when I got my, you know, I was bullied as a kid. So when I got my purple belt, purple belt is a belt for people who don't know jujitsu. I call it the arrival belt. When you get a purple belt, you've kind of arrived. You understand jujitsu. You know, you can defend a lot of situations. But I remember after I got my purple belt, I was, you know, I was always either having a class with Horian or, you know, for a while with Hickson. And I would ask, you know, I remember I went to the, to the, uh, for a while before, you know, became well-known. Horian was selling, before the UFC, there were in-action videos. Did you ever see those? I yeah. didn't see them, so, but I've heard of them. Right. Well, you can now you can probably find them on YouTube. Mm-hmm. But I was selling, you know, we were selling VHS format videos for $29 or whatever. So my job was to, you know, put them in an envelope and take them to the post office and mail them out. So I remember one time going into the post office or, or UPS, wherever it was. And I made eye contact with uh, with somebody, with a woman, and she was with her boyfriend. And he saw that we made eye contact, and he looks at me, and he's like, you know, like, what are you looking at? You know, and I'm like, I was looking at her, you know, and and I said, you know, and I said, relax, man, she's with you, okay. And but I felt myself like my knees, you know, like my legs were shaking a little bit. And I went back and I told Horian, I said, you know, I don't think I deserve this purple belt. He says, why? I says, because, man, I was afraid. You know, and he said, Richard, it's not that you're not going to be afraid. You know, we're not going to turn you into a robot. You know, it's it's that it doesn't paralyze you. Mm-hmm. You know, so it helped me to understand, although part of me didn't believe him because I thought, well, gosh, what's he going to do? Give me a blue. How, how am I going to feel if he takes away my purple belt and I wear a blue belt again? But, you know, and that's, but basically it was it. And every time he told me, every time he ever fought, 
Hickson told me the same thing. You know, when you get into the ring, it's a, it's a healthy respect. The same respect that you would get if you walked up to a cliff that was a couple hundred feet down and you walk over there, you know, you, you might have be a little afraid of getting too close because you could take a tumble. So mm-hmm. it doesn't stop me like 15 feet away. I'm going to go like, well, no, it's close enough. I mean, I could get up a little bit to it, but you know, the closer you get, the more afraid you would become naturally. Mm-hmm. And what do we so, do with that natural fear? What did Horian teach you to do with that natural fear? I think it's not so much that what he did is just that recognize it. Like any, like I met a, a, a psychologist that was an NLP programmer, neuro-linguistic programmer. And he just said, just recognize it. Just see it for what it is. Don't judge it. And just, and kind of like, or if you sit and go like, if you, if you saw the fear up on a, television screen and you went like and you could just see it and go wow that's interesting mm-hmm. don't judge it sit there and go, oh my god i'm afraid but you know see it for what it is like oh interesting that's mm-hmm. what fear looks like mm-hmm. you know? observe it and yeah observe it and you know but th- the problem that we have is we judge it oh my god i'm afraid oh no you know and Mm-hmm. And it, look, it's easier said than done because of what happens to our head when we start to judge stuff like that. In other words, when, oh, my God, I'm afraid. Oh, geez, you don't deserve this. Oh, my God. You know, the, the internal dialogue mm-hmm. that happens when we fail at something, even if it's fear, whatever it is. Instead of just looking at going, oh, that's interesting. And that's the one thing Dr. Dossi taught me to do is just to, to look at my thoughts. And you can have thoughts of fear. Doesn't mean you're afraid, just means you're having thoughts of fear. You could yeah. have thoughts of depression, but doesn't mean you're depressed. Yeah. And he just that's interesting. So he says, How do you know the difference between being depressed and then thinking depressing thoughts? How do you know the difference? That's a question. For me, to me, how do you know the difference? Yeah, uh, if it's, I think it's if you associate, if you associate, if you hold, if you think those thoughts are you, if you think those depression thoughts are you, then you're depressed. Versus if you just you, observe, you identify it, with it. yeah, if you identify it with, yeah. So if you say, if you say, I am afraid. No, I'm experiencing this, afraid, fearful thoughts. That's right. You know, obviously, if someone's holding you up with a gun, you're not going to sit there going, I'm having thoughts of fear, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, a rational kind of thing, but we're talking about just the basic everyday things. So, and it's what you do up here. I mean, it's probably, you know, I was asked about if I had a second book in me. Yeah. And it wouldn't be about jujitsu. It would be it would be about this very same thing. How do you get the change that you're so desiring 
if you start to say, let's say, we have kind of uh, epidemic in this country of mm. of um, overweight people. Mm-hmm. And so when they want to change, one of the things they want to do is maybe they want to exercise, they may want to change their diet, make some lifestyle changes. So when you start to do this and you say, okay, what are the healthy foods that, that create a healthy body? And you look at that and you don't look at the other side. You don't have to sit there and go like, what's not good? We all know what's not good. Uh, fried stuff, uh, you know, sugar. processed foods, sugar, chocolate cake, whatever. Not that you can't have a little chocolate cake now and then. I don't personally. But, but if you set a goal and say, okay, these are the foods, this is from now on. And all of a sudden you're like three days into it and you go, yeah, I'm doing really good. And then all of a sudden there's that little chocolate. Come on, just a little taste. Come on. Mm-hmm. And you eat it and you go, oh my God, I knew I shouldn't mm-hmm. have done that. I feel like crap now. You're an idiot. I can't believe, you know, it's what happens there. And people kind of go into this thing where when I was, I went through the same thing. And one of the things that Dr. Dossie had me do was to recognize it and just say, hey, it's okay. Just look at it for what it is. And every single time that little voice comes up, it's okay. It's okay. And by the way, speaking of this, Hicks and Gracie's ex-wife, Kim Gracie, the mother mm-hmm. of Cron uh, and uh, and Hoxon and the two mm-hmm. girls. Um, she used to do a therapy called rebirthing. Okay. And it was a breathing technique. And I was really good friends with Kim. And she came over to my place. This is probably in the late 80s and came over to my apartment. And she gave me um, a couple sessions. And what these, but it was a dozen sessions. It was breathing, focused breathing for an hour or focused breathing for 30 to 40 minutes. And then you would lay there and, you know, and, and this is one of the ways you get out of that because it relaxes you. It helps you relax to get into a different state. Yeah. But one of the things that she said to me, she said, Richard, you have to, you have to, you need forgiveness in your life. I don't know what it is. You saw how she saw it, but, and then she said, when Jesus was asked about forgiveness, he said, forgive 70 times seven. So she said, take someone in your life and said, I, Richard, forgive and insert that person, write it down 70 times a day. So I took four people. One of them was my dad. You know, I don't even know who the other four or the other three were, but Mm -hmm. for a week, 70 times a day, I wrote, I, Richard, forgive, I, Richard, forgive, I, Richard, forgive. So at the end of a week, that's 490 times the end of a month, just shy of 2000 times. I wrote down, I, Richard, forgive. So that when I did screw up all of a sudden, I did not only recognized myself for like, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. 
it's like all of a sudden there was this voice that came going, hey, it's okay, Richard, I forgive you. Mm-hmm. And I went, I was like, wow, that's interesting. And then that little voice would come back on the other side and go, no, you're an idiot. I can't believe you did that. And so, and I'd go, no, I forgive you. So I, I, it was like having like, you know, you ever seen the cartoons when you have the, like the bad guy and the angel, you know, whatever, the devil, the angel, whatever it was. Yeah. I had an internal battle going on, but I made sure that I always, every single time that negative zone, oh, you're an idiot, would say, it's okay, I forgive you. And then I would say, I love you. So mm-hmm. it helped me to get those changes and go easy on myself because look, in my book, I think I say something to the effect, um, you know, where I said, don't should on somebody. And there's probably someone else who had said, don't should on me or anyone else. Mm-hmm. So when you say, if I, if you were to, like a student of mine, I say, oh, you shouldn't have done that. Doesn't make you feel very good. Or if you're my kid and I, oh, you shouldn't have done that. Look what the hell happened now, you know. But it doesn't change when we do it to ourselves. I shouldn't have eaten that. You don't feel good. So so just say, look, what I did, it's done. Exactly. I forgive you. I love you. Move on. Mm-hmm. And that's something that has to be taught and repeated over and over to deal with that kind of stuff. Sorry, I went on a tangent. No. But it's something. That I love this. I love this. Thoughts become things, and we have the choice. Choice, as Viktor Frankl says, the most powerful of our human freedoms, and we have the choice to experience heaven or hell in this very moment at all times, and it's what we do with those thoughts. If we identify them or we let them go, um, and that's a power. Do you, know, do you know the name Earl Nightingale? Yeah. Okay. One of the things he had an audio because I listened to Stranger Secret. A Stranger Secret. Uh, I think it was that was when he would say, "You become what you think about all day long." Yeah. 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 And that's it. This, yeah, Stranger Secret. Yeah. So you know, I listened to Earl Nightingale, Brian Tracy, Jim Rohn, Zig Ziglar, mm-hmm. different think Tony Robbins, and. It just, I had to keep that kind of stuff because, and Dr. Dossie would say, you know, what you think about, you begin to feel. And what you feel, you begin to think about more. So yep. when you're putting something in here, you know, think about what it is because you're going to start to feel it. And so that's a record. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think the feeling is a big piece. And that's what I was thinking when you write, I forgive myself. I believe um, it's not only do you write that, but you also feel that forgiveness. Um, I think that's an important piece of the equation um, is, is feeling, feeling those, the sensation of forgiveness so that you embody it. Yeah. And when you repeat it, it kind of permeates. I mean, you know, like, and one of the things that would happen is that, and, and where I would really notice it when I'm driving down the street, someone cuts me off and I, oh, and I went, oh, Richard, come on, man. 
you know, and I'm like, and when, when I would do this, and this is right after I did that, and even still, if it happens to this day, sometimes those automatic thing, I didn't sleep right, whatever, you know, and, but I'll always sit there and go, it's okay, I forgive you. I mean, I, I, I don't walk around with a thing or, or if someone, if I get in an argument with somebody, I don't, you know, I don't walk around with that kind of, um, that kind of negativity. I don't harbor resentment mm-hmm. because what's done is done. It's not going to serve me no. to walk around with that kind of negativity. Doesn't mean that I can't be angry at somebody, but I'm not, it's not going to like, you know, where I'm constantly seeding over something. Mm-hmm. Because that dominates your reality. Like it's, if you're angry at someone, um, the person you're harming is yourself. They don't, they don't, they're not feeling that they could be living their merry old life, but you're just seething and hurting yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. So this conversation about the mindset, about thoughts becoming things for we're fear. So when we feel fear, just identifying it as a thought rather, um, rather than identifying as you being that thought. And it really changes things. Um, so that's one way um, of encountering fear. Another way is something you alluded to with Hicks and something that I learned through Hickson is the power of breath. When we encounter fear, breath can really transform that experience. What have you learned about breath on your journey in jujitsu and beyond? Um, well, you know, like you, well, you spoke with Marty, right? Yeah. Well, you know, he has, I think. Breathing um, for jujitsu. Was it that, or BJJ, was it? Yeah. yeah breathing for BJJ, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then my boss, where I teach right now, he, she, actually, he's married to, to Crystal, and she also learned the same thing from Dr. Belize, and she called, I think she calls it breathing for athletes, same same breathing thing. So, and, and then even before I met them, there was the there was a three part breath breath work just coming in. I mean, I've been through all different kinds of breath work. I did the three part breathing. I still do it. Did it this morning, as a matter of fact. Um, and I'll do the breath work a little bit. I mean, here and there, I I don't really I, I don't really do as much as that I have to be careful how I word this as that I want to do, you know, like there's, you know, there's certain things that you have to be motivated, but a lot of times, I mean, I first got introduced to breath and how it can change me back in the early eighties because I was doing quaaludes, cocaine and pot every day. Mm -hmm. And the pot lasted for a while. The cocaine and quaaludes were about, two or three years when, when I really became a problem. And when I wanted to change, and this is after I met Horian, you know, you know, I wanted to change this and I was seeing a therapist before Dr. Dossi. And I also started taking Valium because I had an anxiety. Well, Valium, one of the side effects of Valium is anxiety. So, you know, just like all drugs, they cause the same thing that you're taking the drug for. 
-hmm. Many people don't realize that, but all you got to do is look at the side effects. So when I was seeing this therapist and going, okay, I wanted to stop doing drugs. So, and I said, man, I have such a hard time with anxiety. I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm really coming unglued. Sometimes when I have these anxiety attacks, I'd have to go look in a mirror to make sure I'm, it's still me. That, I felt like I was coming unhinged. Mm-hmm. So he, what he did is he, he had me do a 10, 10, 10 breath, you know, which I turned into 20, 20, 20, you know, long, slow inhale, you know, sitting up straight, long, slow inhale into the diaphragm, hold for, hold for 10 or 20 and then out and really, you know, get it all out and do yeah. this. And a lot of times when I'd be driving, I'd, I'd be anxious and sitting in my apartment or driving, I noticed after about five minutes, I'd start to get a little more anxious. It would happen for about a minute. And then all of a sudden it was like magic. I just like, was like, whoa, that was so nice. You know, 10 minutes later, I was like, wow, this is really relaxing. So, and, and it was by need, I needed to do this but I still do it to this day. When I'm driving, I might feel a little anxious and I'll, I'll just breathe for usually before class. I'll go in and I'll breathe just and because in, I will. And then in, yeah, what I do is I like to make the exhale a little longer. Yeah. Because when you push the exhale out and you use your diaphragm to push it out, what's the one thing you do? It forces you to take another breath. Yeah. So. I make sure that I get any trapped stuff out because it's the trapped stuff that you want to get rid of anyhow. So use your muscles to exhale it, and then it helps you to take a fuller inhale. Mm-hmm. So just just doing that alone, and that's to me that's like the bare minimum that someone really could do to really help them notice change to relax and do that for five minutes, you know, sit up straight when you do it and, and, and just be aware of your thoughts. Don't judge your thoughts. Just focus on your breath because you want to find out how, how wild your brain or your, your mind is just sit still for one minute or 30 seconds and just put one word and just say, I can only repeat one word. Mm-hmm. It's almost impossible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had the, after a breathing session with Kim, I mean, there was one time that, I mean, and we did this a dozen times. There was one time that when we were done that I had an experience that I didn't, wasn't even aware of my body. I was just like, oh, my God, this is incredible. I mean, it was I didn't want it to end because I, I, I felt like I was one with the universe. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I got this message saying that, you know, don't keep the love trapped inside. That's what you're already doing. Let it out. And mm-hmm. when I became aware of that, I mean, I just I just sat there and I wept for about 15 minutes. I mean, it was such a profound experience. So I, I would think 
whatever kind of breathing a person needs to get into, find whatever you're drawn to and, and do it. Because it, it really is. I have a, a former student who, who teaches the three-part breath. And uh, he's very successful at it now. And, uh, you know, one of the things that he always says, it, he said, I stopped going to therapy because all I did was breathe and realized I was dealing with the stuff through my breath because it was slowing me down enough to help me to, you know, to come to the realization that all I needed is just to relax because the rest of it's a lot of just, you know, we can say, oh, my dad did this to me. My mom did this to me, whatever it was, but it doesn't matter. Their stories. That That's right. It's their stories. So, so just relax, forgive, and ask yourself, what do you want? Heaven now, choose it in this moment. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's beautiful. So um, for your jujitsu students, how do you recommend they breathe on the mat? Hickson um, is, is a big, a big breath for jujitsu guy. What do you, how do you, what do you teach your students to breathe on the mat? Like, what is your recommendations for jujitsu practitioners in terms of breath on the mat while rolling? You know what? I, I haven't focused on it too much. One of the things that I will tell them when they are breathing is the one thing I remember Horian always telling me, shut your mouth, breathe through your nose. Because when you breathe through your mouth, it puts you in a sympathetic state mm -hmm. and you want to be in a parasympathetic state. And so when we, and, and the more you breathe through your mouth, the more tired you get, the worse it gets for you. You sit there, <gasps> and you get, mm -hmm. you know, and you get exhausted. And so many people, and, and they're doing this because they're so tense. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a vicious cycle. So if you if you learn to breathe before you came into class, and then I mean, the one word that I repeat in my classes more than any word mm -hmm. is the word "rule." You ask any of my students, what's the one word you'll hear me say? And they'll go, relax. You know, it's kind of like, okay, Richard. But it's, and, and then, you know, Crystal will teach a, you know, a breath workshop every few months. And I'll tell, I'll encourage the students to come in. And, you know, and for the same reason that I would recommend Marty's, um, Breathing for BJJ program. Yeah. And right now, I mean, he's, I think it's, he has a 50% off sale too at the time of this recording. I don't know it'll be when this comes out, but, but I'm sure if you contact Marty and you tell him Richard Bressler said, I'm sure he'll hook you up. Yeah. But uh, just, just to do something, just to learn how to diaphragmatic breathe. And just to keep your mouth shut. I mean, those are two big things because, you know, and I tell guys, if you are sucking wind and you cannot close your mouth when you're rolling, so you're, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. I said, so, you know, it's one thing, you know, so you want to train yourself to do this. You want to just, you know, I always remember Hoyne always had his mouth closed and when he was telling me, he never really gave me specific things. And, and neither did Hickson. 
he just, they would just, I noticed, and Horing Boat was, I just remember going, Richard, mouth closed. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that kind of, and it's something that when I see guys, when, when I hear in the room, <gasps> I go, guys, close your mouth. I don't want to hear this. And I said, if you're too tired, I said, stop, slow it down. You know, it's, it's, it, uh, relax. You know, the breath. Little, yeah. Relax the breath, but also relax the body and the mind. I think it's the, the three, three pieces to that relaxation. Yes. Stop, stop trying so hard. <laughs> Easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm very curious. You were saying you're when one of those rebirthing experiences with Kim Gracie, um, you you received a message about love. What have you learned about love in your 70 years? What does love mean to you, Richard? Oh man, that's a good question. Um. You know, I don't know how to answer that. I really don't know how to answer it. Maybe you do it with your being. I feel that's one way. Um, one way we answer questions is we exemplify it with our being. It's maybe the, at least that's how what I answer the question. It's such a broad, it's such a big topic. But um, what loves means to me, what loves to means to me, I exemplified in my being with kindness, compassion, joy. So, I don't know. Well, I, I do my best to do that. You know, I'm I'm not always successful at it. You know, I, you know, one of the things that uh, I have discovered, I kind of knew, but it really hit home about me, mm -hmm. is that I have I like to make my class fun. It's one of the first things like I like to make it fun. Mm -hmm. So. Because one, Dr. Dossi and Horian always made the class fun for me, you know, just because, you know, I don't make it that serious. I mean, it's like I'm not in a school where we're training competitors. Most of the people I would say, you know, and someone was just saying, stop calling yourself a hobbyist. But most people, you know, they're doing this for the fun. So it's a hobby. Yeah. It's something that they do. So it's like. When to come to class, I'm, I crack jokes a lot. I have a very dry sense of humor. Mm -hmm. And if you're insecure, you will misconstrue that as um, I'm finding fault with you. And there's a couple people in my life recently can you hold this up for one second yeah absolutely i mean literally i'll be right back here okay i lied it was 10 seconds Hey, that's okay. Opportunity to breathe. A deep breath in, 
a stillness at the top, the deep breath out, regulating the nervous system. We have always opportunity to practice. That's right. And also, here's a cheap plug for my book. Anyway. Okay, so what I was going to say was, um, I, I have a friend of mine, and we both know this one woman, and she cannot stand me. You know, and him and I are really good friends. And he says, Richard, I know who you are. But she, I did something and he was talking to her and he said, what did he, what did he do? She goes, I don't even remember. I just can't stand him. And he says, well, you've been walking around with this for like 10 years mm -hmm. and you don't even know why you're, you don't like him, mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, my friend James was saying, and he says, Richard, I know why, because you have this dryness about you. I mean, it's like I gave, I gave a person a few months ago a stripe on their belt. And one of the things that I said as they're walking away is I said, don't make me regret this. Now, obviously, I'm not serious. You know, it was done out of humor. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of, you know, and that's the... I mean, I say things to me that's so obvious that it's a joke, but not everybody takes it like that. If you have a little thing, like the same way that I had with my dad, when you, yes. when he said certain things to me, I went like, like when I wanted to leave the family business and my dad said to me, what else do you think you're qualified for, Richard? And I went, oh, I, I interpreted that as like, you, you, you know, you bastard. What are you saying? That I can't do anything? You know, and he wasn't saying that at all. He just said, what are you qualified for? And and really, I, I didn't know. I didn't have an answer because I hadn't trained in anything else. And that's okay. That's right. But I interpreted it as this. So it gave me one more reason not to like my dad. Yeah. And then... You know, I did some work with Dr. Dossi when I told him that story. And he said, Richard, you know, and we did some some little techniques. But th and then he also explained, he said, maybe it was just a statement. Maybe it was just a question. What, like, what are you qualified for? And I went, wow. And I and that gave me one reason to hate my dad more. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I'm, I'm glad that and that's because I had a chip on my shoulder. So, like my friend James, he said, Richard, she doesn't know who you are. Mm -hmm. And I had a neighbor of mine who I really like. We were talking, and I said, I don't know what I said to him. And he says, you, you said. And I said, dude, what reason would I have to put you down? I said, I enjoy talking to you. I like seeing you. And you, you were, and you, and you said, I said something, which you can't even recall. So... You know, it's something, it's an edge that I have because I like to look at fun of the obvious, but not everybody takes it like that because mm -hmm. it's a, it's a sarcasm, but and it doesn't mean that I love. Mm -hmm. And it's because of things that they're holding on to on their shoulders that they're not bringing awareness to and letting that go. Those, those chips on their shoulders. Um, it's, it's not so much you, it's, it's them. 
I, I know, but I one, one of the things that Dr. Dossi said to me, and it's the same thing that when Horian says there's no such thing as a bad student. One of the things that Dr. Dossi said to me is he said, the meaning of a communication is the response that you get, not the intent. Mm, that's a good one. So you can have great intentions, but if you get a bad response, who's who's responsible for that? If I say something and it pisses you off, but yet I didn't mean to piss you off, so you can say, hey, I can say, hey, man, what? I didn't mean it like that. And you go, well, that's the way, you know, going, you know what? I'm sorry. This was me. You know, let me let me say it differently. Let yeah. me put it in terms, you know, in other words, to to really, if we take responsibility for the communication between us, if just that we do that doesn't mean that we're going to, that if I say something and you have bad response, but if we all adapted that kind of thing going, wow. And that's why when these guys have a problem with me, it's like, wait a minute, I meant nothing by this. If if I didn't like you, you would know it because I wouldn't yeah. talk to you. So, Absolutely. and I think that we, people need to have that, have that kind of take responsibility for what you're seeing in front of you. For the response rather than the intention. That's right. That's, mm -hmm. that's a tough one. And a big piece of this is something you alluded to earlier is forgiveness, forgiving yourself for, for what you didn't know or for your errors before and in the now changing it. Um, and just putting in the reps, putting in the reps and creating a new normal. Yeah. There you go. So you've mentioned a lot of different mentors and helpers along the way. Um, Horian being one, Dr. Dossie being another, Hickson. So let's just take a moment to acknowledge some of these mentors. Um, we can start with those three, um, Dr. Dossie, Horian, and Hickson. What were your major takeaways that you learned from them that you've incorporated into yourself as a being and as a teacher? Um, gosh, you know, I, I think probably the, the biggest thing, you know, and, and it also, and Dr. Dossie and, and Horian had a, a very similar philosophy because thinking that I wasn't a good student, I mean, I thought, you know, you heard my book. I thought that I was stupid. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the things that Dr. Dossie said is, is you were being taught by inflexible teachers. They knew how to teach the masses. So, and if you're not part of what those masses do, you fall through the cracks and then you kind of, and I internalized it as saying, I'm stupid, I can't learn. That's why I had those situations with Horian and that, which had him come to me saying, hey, there's no such thing as a bad student which was very similar to what Dr. Dossie said, there's inflexible teachers. But also one big difference was, is that I was doing something with Horian that I wanted to do. I wanted to do Jiu-Jitsu. I was also taking private classes. There wasn't a group that I could fall through the cracks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'll even tell the students that if they feel like they're not getting attention and they have that kind of like, Oh, I don't, you know, B 
because you know there are people that kind of have that thing. And one of them is a student that starred with me a few months ago. And she is, you know, she kind of had a very similar attitude that I did about learning and the being very self-conscious. And I said, you know what, you might want to read my book. And she did. And man, she she just like, wow, I can really relate to this. And and she started taking my class. And about once every six weeks or so, she'll do a private class with me. And I see how she's getting along. And and we and we chatted quite a bit, you know, through Instagram about some of those thoughts that she was having. And that to me, you know, when I could touch somebody like that and pass along what was, you know, passed to me helps her quiet that little negative part of her so mm -hmm. those and i mean even though horian told me this and dr dasi helped me to incorporate this to to make sure i have to say what we just talked about the meaning of the communication and i'll tell people i say look if you if you hear me raise my voice and say not like this like you know, if I get excited in class, I said, my frustration is not with you so much as this with me. What can I do? How more effective, how much more effective can I be as a communicator, as a teacher to get you to do what I'm. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, even though it sounds like I'm kind of addressing them, I'll tell them, I'll say, I'm really, I'm thinking, how can I be more effective? Mm -hmm. So between Torian and Dr. Dossi, it was that same kind of thing. Hickson was always made me realize because his classes were so different. We would do 15, no, we do about half an hour of technique. Every other like private classes with those guys back then was usually a half an hour, okay. 20 minutes of technique, 10 minutes of a light roll. With Hickson, it was that. You know, and I was, I think I was purple belt when I was training with Hickson. Well, the last time I was training with him. And he would do a 30 minute, we do a 45 minute class, 30 minutes of technique and 15 minutes of nonstop rolling. Okay. And after like a few minutes, I'd be like, <gasps> and he goes, no, Richard, don't stop. This is where the jujitsu kicks in. And it yeah. was just like, so it taught me that I needed to pace myself. Because mm -hmm. when you fatigue, that's all you have left is your technique. Yeah, yeah. So, so what do your private classes look like now, Richard? So you described what uh, Horian and Hickson's private classes. What do private classes with you look like? Um, you know, it, there. It's just I just started teaching a a 11-year-old uh, boy, a guy that was in my class, his son, yeah. he's an orthopedic surgeon, and he used to come over to Krav Maga. And uh, after the pandemic, you know, we lost touch. And it just so happens that a guy who read my book, who lives about a couple miles away, this student of mine was his orthopedic surgeon and so my friend went into Eric's office 
and they were talking, you know, because he says, I, you know, this friend of mine does jujitsu. He's a white belt. So he says, oh, yeah, you know, I did jujitsu. And he told me, he says, oh, yeah. And there's this book that I've been reading, Worth Defending by Richard Bresser. He goes, Richard Bresser was my was my teacher. So anyways, so my friend Tom says, hey, Eric wants to get in touch with you. So we, Eric and I are chatting. He says, look, would you come out and teach my son? So he, he, they live about 15 minutes away. I went over to their house, taught him a class. And a lot of it is just that very same thing, relaxed technique, every single class. I'm, I'm teaching most of my students, by the way, um, are white, blue, and a couple purple belts. I think I have three purple belts. Mm-hmm. And most of it is really foundational stuff. And I'm just helping them tighten it up and relaxing. Just go over the technique because I, you know, we're always getting newer students. So mm-hmm. all I do, and I'll show the move, and then I have a couple guys that I'm that have started to take semi-private, and I rarely show them anything new. I just get them relaxed and do technique, relax, do technique, relax, do technique. I'm not showing them anything new. I'm just saying, look, this one guy, both these guys, but one of the guys, they're both in their mid-50s. One guy is just 210 pounds. The guy's just like a tank. Mm-hmm. And I said, when you roll, though, you're just manhandling people. I said, do you yeah. find this fun? And he said, not really. And I said, would you like to? He said, yeah. So I said, okay. I said, you need to stop worrying about being caught and start going for some moves instead of holding someone smaller down, which is not a challenge. Yeah. And it's like, if I took, if I, I'm 140 pounds, but if I took an 80 pounder and just held him down, I can do it, but. No one's winning Big on that deal. situation. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so I said, how about doing techniques? Put yourself in a bad position. Find a way to get out of it. I said, worst that'll happen is you'll get tapped. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you go like, okay, do this a few times. And you go, oh, yeah, I put my hand over here and I can just move like I said, yeah. So most of my classes, like I used to kind of make fun when Horian would come in a lot of times, like his seminar, one of the things that Horian will still do to this day, he'll just show you the cross collar choke. Yeah. I went, I went into his office, I don't know, about five years ago. And he grabbed a gi from his closet. He said, Richard, show me the cross collar choke. We're just talking. So I did the cross collar choke and, and he taught me. Right. Yeah. So as I did, and I have a good choke and he goes, almost perfect and then so i said okay so i did it again and then he took my second hand and just put it up just a little further a little deeper that's right so that's what i'm doing most of the most of the stuff i'll show moves a lot of times they're you know instead of showing what's the analogy bruce lee like would you or would you rather learn be good at one kick and do it a thousand times or a thousand moves and do them once. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's the one thing I want to make sure that these guys own the move. 
So I show them less, but show little details along the way. And that's what I'm doing. That's what my classes are like. No, that's beautiful. I really appreciate that. I just have a couple of last questions for you, Richard. Um, one I'm really curious to hear your take on, um, especially considering your your history with drug use and with um, quaaludes, cocaine, pot, and Valium, you said three of those are quite are, are synthetic and not good, but the pot, the cannabis, um, there's different opinions on that. And um, it's actually quite used in the jujitsu world, can, cannabis. <laughs> and so I wanted just to ask your take on that, on cannabis. And it's, it's becoming legal and legal all across Canada where I'm from it's legal in California where you're from it doesn't mean that it's right and doesn't mean that it can't be abused um but yeah just your take on cannabis um can you hang on one more second I want to grab my bomb <laughs> um you know I have a student that grows and manufactures CBD and THC tinctures. Mm. And also he has, you know, little bags of flour, THC and CBD. And uh, one of the things that he, and he gave me some like straight THC, one-to-one, four-to-one, different stuff. And I use a little bit. I don't use it the way I used to use it. I don't use it to get high. Because I tried when I first got introduced to tinctures and edibles, I overdid it. I didn't know how much to use. So man, and it was, I was so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So two or three nights a week, I'll take a little bit. It's more of a, I was kind of curious to see what the, I uh, can't think of the word that I'm looking for. Um, just the just the use, just to see if it would help me at some level, because you know there's so much that was said, and I don't know if it's true or not true, but people are saying, oh, it's good as an anti-inflammatory, it's good yeah. for digestion. So I I tried, I did it for that. I didn't notice too much from that. Mm -hmm. Like I said, what I do is very, I mean, an edible where you would really get high. I think that minimum is probably about five milligrams of THC. Yeah. I probably ingest a milligram. So it's a micro dose. Yes. So it's just a little bit and it's usually a blend of uh, CBD or CBN, you know, for sleeping at night. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I used to, I used to wake up to a bomb, mm -hmm. you know, for years and I don't really want to smoke because of, I mean, you know, when I used to do a bong or smoke a joint, we'd sit there and, you know, and it's no matter what, it's not good for your lungs to do something like that on a regular basis. It's, it's, you know, people look, if you like THC and you like to do it, whatever, who's ever out there listening, great. I'm just saying, think about that, find a different way to ingest it. And I don't like being out of, I mean, 
you're out of control. I, when I took Quaaludes, I mean, I was, especially if you overdo it, you're completely out of control. I like to be aware of my faculties. I don't want to be completely. So, you know, that's why I, I, I don't drink. I One, I don't drink because I don't like the taste of alcohol, you know, but even with THC, I don't want to get really completely wiped out. And like I said, the smoking part is something that, that uh, I've been around people who smoke on a regular basis and they, and they have this nasty cough. Mm, it's not good for the so, lungs. Yeah. So I, I don't know if that was the answer you were looking for, but I, I don't indulge anymore. And I've had friends that go, Richard, if I could get you a Quaalude right now, would you take it? Because I really did love Quaaludes. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, honestly, because of the f- one, I might want to do another one. But two, it's the effect of, that it has on the liver. I mean, this is synthetic and it's it's a nasty, it's a nasty drug. So I probably wouldn't do it. Because mm-hmm. I have a student that is a chemist. He said, you get me the stuff. He says, I can make them for you. I said, not interested. Been yeah, there, done that. Been there, done that. Yeah. Not interested. No, that's fair. Well, thank you so much, Richard. You've shared so much wisdom in this conversation um, that goes so beyond jujitsu. And I think that is um, that is really important to see how we learn concepts in jujitsu and we can apply them to all aspects of our life. My final question for you, Richard, is to start off for the highs and lows that is this life experience, that is this hero's journey of yours. What has been the greatest life lesson that you've learned on your path that you feel called in this moment to share with the listeners? You know, it's probably what I just, what I said earlier about when you're trying, when you want to make a change and you are at that point where you're making the change, be gentle on yourself. You know, I, I used to think that if you did something, like if I, if I was doing that, if I said, okay, Richard, it's okay, I forgive you. I'd say, well, that's just going to create the behavior and it's going to make why because I didn't make a big thing of it. And it's going to make me want to, you know, it's like, it's okay to do that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that it was just to say, look, so you, you caught yourself. Why beat yourself over it? Because if you're beating yourself up, it's kind of like what you resist persists. Mm-hmm. If you're constantly harping on something, you're putting that, to your center of attention. Oh, I screwed up. God, what an idiot. Oh my God, I screwed up. Oh, what an idiot. I mean, it's like, hey, okay, what do you want? You know, when Dr. Dossi, after I bitched one time in a session, talking to Dr. Dossi, and I'm telling him all these things I didn't want. Well, I don't want my to do this, and I don't want this to happen. I don't. And he said, great, I got it. What do you want, Richard? And I said, well, I don't want this, and I don't want this. And he said, Richard, Good. I said, so what do you want? And I'm thinking to myself, why do you keep asking me the same question? I just told you. And he said, well, not exactly. I said, I asked you what you wanted and you proceeded to tell me what you didn't want. So he said, what do you want? And I went, I don't know. And he goes, when you find that answer, then you're ready. So keep asking yourself, what do you want? 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you don't. It doesn't matter if you can't get it right now. At least you have something to drive toward. Mm -hmm. So right here, right now, what is it that you want, Richard? <laughs> I want you to stop asking me these hard questions. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I want people to know the the. And this is something that's just happened to I want people to know the roots of jujitsu in this country, especially because it's how many people do jujitsu in North America or the world over a million easily, right? More and more each day. Right. So how many people know how, where it started, and how it started? One, one place they could find out is your book. Worth Defending, now available on Amazon, Audible, and I listened to the Audible with Scott Birds. It's fantastic. The reviews are excellent. Check it out. Um, they can find the links to all those on richardbressler.com, and they can connect you with on Instagram at Richard underscore Bressler. Anywhere else they could find you. Um, my website which probably has the links to Facebook, yeah. Instagram. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but that's, that's good. And if they want to train with you, where can um, they train? They, I, I teach up at 360 self-defense. It's over by LAX. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they could fly in, come to the place and then fly home. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's about a half a mile from LAX. It's a nice little studio. I've been there for, you know, probably about three years now because I was at Krav Maga up until the pandemic and then I never went back there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and now I teach there. I teach at another place called Sparta Academy um, that's owned by both of the guys that own these other studios. They have um, Krav Maga experience. And the guy at Sparta is a black belt in Krav Maga. He's a black belt in Jiu-Jitsu. And the other guy where I teach at 360, Ricky, is a uh, he's a brown belt in Krav Maga. I left there just before he was going to be tested. But he's a, he's a he's a great guy, and he's an excellent stand-up fighter. And a really, I mean, he's going to Jiu-Jitsu very fast. He's a blue belt now, and. Well, I don't want to tell him, I don't want him to hear this, to know that he's closer to the purple, you know, than, but, but uh, we'll yeah, that's what I'm going to So. Well, thank you so much, Richard. Um, I look forward to continuing um, listening and learning from you. I hopefully with your second book on the mindset and how to create change. So keeping fingers crossed to have that one, I can have you on for another conversation about that book and speaks more about Krav Maga. We close all our conversations with a fist bump, stepping into the winner's circle. Boom. Boom. Thank you so much. And it's been a pleasure. That's, it's a wrap on today's call, Richard. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.